You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You probably remember this game in 2003. It was a Monday night football game between the Packers and Raiders. It was famously right after Brett Favre lost his father, and he put up one of the games of his career, like four touchdowns and a blowout win in the black hole against Oakland. It was so inspiring and unforgettable that even the Raiders fans, notoriously inhospitable as they are, gave Brett Favre a standing ovation. That game is something that I think about a lot, and games like it, you know, Torrey Smith had a great game right after he lost his brother, famously Mike Zimmer's defense when he was in Cincinnati and his wife passed away, put up one of their best performances. There is something inspiring about playing through a loss, something that energizes you. It's just one of those weird emotional phenomena that I can't really make sense of, and it fascinates me and inspires me all at the same time. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Locked on Vikings. I'm your host, your pal in the kid you copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. The show is on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. The show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcasts, or you can ask your smart device to play podcast Locked on Vikings. Locked on Vikings is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. And I want to start today's show by talking to you about one of the Vikings' more ho-hum free agency signings from March, Anthony Zettel. Zettel grew up in a small town in Michigan, and he was self-described as kind of a wild child. He would go out and get into trouble, and he would catch snakes and kind of be one of those crazy kids running around in the 90s, where, like, neighborhood kids, like, were even barred from playing with him. And his parents were, were pretty strict on him. They said, you know, no video games. There's even this fun story where he and his brother found a way somehow to get an Xbox, and his dad, Terry, came in and, like, threw the thing away. But he and his dad were really, really close. See, Anthony Zettel was a, a hyper-athletic kind of kid. He was into everything. He was super into MMA, still is. He still supplements all of his football work workouts with like kickboxing and stuff. He did track, he played football, and his dad was with him through every step of the way. Coaching him, working out with him, pushing him, supporting him, and inspiring him. And one day in his sophomore, sophomore year of high school, this was 2008, they went out on a boat and his dad dove into some water that was way too shallow and he ended up sustaining a horrible neck injury that paralyzed him. And we're talking airlifted to the hospital, only survived because of CPR on the scene, breathing through a tube, blinking to communicate. I mean, this was bad, and they didn't think that he would ever come out of it. They thought he might never talk again, and he certainly wouldn't walk again. But on the contrary, one day, by a miracle, he wiggled a toe, and then he wiggled another toe. And that was just enough inspiration for a guy like Terry Zettel to work his way back through rehab, and he threw every ounce of willpower a man could possibly muster at it. He would even joke with the nurses not to let him out of a certain room until he could tie his shoes. He spent hours fumbling with the cap of a toothpaste tube, and through what's probably some of the most grueling months you can imagine, eventually he was able to, with some help, walk to his car and go home. And he ended up making, I think, a full-ish recovery from that injury, which is this incredible miracle of hard work and determination. And imagine having that going on next to you when you are a young high school athlete and you're coming home sore and bruised every day. For his son Anthony, that was an inspiration to keep going and to keep pushing. You know, you, I think I have some pain, look at what my dad's going through, and he's kicking its butt. 
So recruitment season comes around and Anthony Zettel decides to go to Penn State, be a defensive lineman there, and he sticks with all the MMA and stuff. Uh, And right when he shows up, unfortunately, the Jerry Sandusky scandal breaks. And there's not a lot that I could find about him and his response to this, but a lot of players transferred away from Penn State. Uh, Zettel did not. He stuck around. There's also in some of the old write-ups about him and his like high school childhood life, uh, he had a bunch of weird trickshot YouTube videos that are now taken down. If anyone can find those, please send them to me. I really want it's like kicking water bottles and stuff and weird MMA, tackling a tree, like all these weird, like almost dude perfect kind of things. I really want to find them. And so his college career takes a pretty normal path. First couple years, he plays only rotationally. That's normal for defensive linemen. Junior year is when he really kicks it on. And he starts getting into the All-American conversation and being one of these guys that's maybe going to get a chance in the NFL and, and really rising to be one of the leaders in that defense. But also, it is around that time that Terry Zettel goes through another tribulation. He gets diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. It's in his heart, in his lungs... And similarly to the paralysis, he attacks it with all he has. He goes through a couple of operations, he goes through multiple rounds of chemo, but the thing about cancer is that you cannot work it. And on September 25th, 2015, the day before one of the first games in Anthony Zettel's senior year at Penn State, his father Terry passes away. And the next day, Anthony and his entire family shows up to the stands to play San Diego State. And Anthony has a great game, gets a fumble recovery, like seven tackles, and the Nittany Lions beat up on SDSU. I think they win like 37 to 21 in one of the most emotional wins that you could possibly imagine. And much like the Brett Favre thing, it's something that I think a lot of people like kind of struggle to understand, especially if they're not like familiar with football, because it seems really crazy. I mean, if your dad just died, you'd never go into work the next day. You'd take some time off. You'd grieve. You'd, you know, spend time with your family, go to the wake, do all that. But when you're mourning, there is something to establishing a sense of normality, routine, and really importantly, community. And that's what Zettel talks about when he says, you know, it was really important to be able to come in and do this and do it well. That was important for me to help me get through it. And it can be this like cathartic and therapeutic thing. And for a lot of people, it's a pretty standard grieving technique to kind of lose yourself in your work or in a project and channel all of that emotional energy into something where you can get it out. And for a lot of athletes, that's football. Not to mention being surrounded by your brothers, people you love, people that you've bled with and sweated with all hot summer, and those are the people who are next to you, arm in arm with you, when you walk out there to go face a common enemy. There's something really powerful about that. So the rest of Zettel's senior year goes by pretty well, and he ends up getting drafted in the sixth round to the Detroit Lions. Spends a couple of years there, but it doesn't really pan out. He doesn't set the edge well enough, uh, and he isn't quite productive enough as a pass rusher. And in 2017, by midseason, he's completely benched. He's not even in the rotation anymore. So 2018 comes around, he goes into the 2018 training camp, ends up getting cut kind of a surprising move for Lions fans. Uh, They didn't really expect it, but if you think about it, his performance had kind of dwindled from an NFL perspective, and he was really starting to struggle. So he ends up getting claimed on waivers, however he goes, and he plays with Cleveland for the rest of the 2018 season. 2019 comes around, and again, he's got to go try to make the team, and he doesn't make it. 
He gets picked up by Cincinnati, and he's kind of on and off their roster. They do similar roster shenanigans to, like, the Vikings, where they'll have somebody kind of on on the roster and then on the practice squad and on and off to kind of artificially expand the roster. And, And he does a little bit of that filling in here and there for the Bengals as needed. But in December, he's waived one more time, and the Bengals don't get him back. San Francisco, in the middle of a Super Bowl run, needs a little bit of extra edge help to rotate and uh, spell Nick Bosa, and so they pick him up in December. He makes it all the way to their Super Bowl, where they lose to the Chiefs, and they decline to sign him for the 2020 season, and that's where the Vikings get a crack at him. So now he comes into another training camp, and hopefully third time's the charm, he'll be able to make the team. But to me, the earlier part of Zettel's story is the more interesting one and the more important one to tell. And, you know, this could be it for Anthony Zettel. You know, you've been in the league since 2016. You've been cut a whole bunch of times. These are the kinds of players that might be at the tail end of their career or at the beginning of some career resurgence where they finally come into the scheme and figure out, or you know, get Andre Patterson coaching him and maybe he he unlocks something that elongates his career. And this is the kind of fun crossroads that you see with these journeyman type players. So I don't know about you, but I'm excited to see what Anthony Zettel has and what he can show us in the preseason. So switching gears for the rest of the show, I'm going to talk about the uh, title of the episode, Hercules Mata'afa, and what happened there? I, I was super hyped on him. If you go listen to what I talked about in the preseason last year, like I was all in on the dude, and it definitely didn't work out. He was like fully benched by week eight, and he didn't play another snap until uh, the week 17 backups game against the Bears, and I don't believe he played in the playoffs at all. So we're going to look into all of that, but first, let me talk to you about rockauto.com. So rockauto.com is an aggregator for all of your car or truck part needs. If your car or your truck is broken and you need something, you can just enter the make and model and search for what you need, and you'll come up with a whole bunch of different options, and the prices are pretty unbeatable especially if you go to brick-and-mortar stores where they're trying to upsell you, because usually by the time you've gotten your broken car to an AutoZone or an O'Reilly or something, there's not a lot of options. You kind of just have to pay what they tell you to pay. But for Rock Auto, they don't have that kind of luxury. They can't just upcharge you whatever they want, so you can stand to save a buck if you go there. Their selection is awesome, and if whether you have a, a problem and you need a part, or if you're just a total gearhead and you want that steady stream of parts for tricking out whatever your pet project in the garage is, head over to rockauto.com. And when you check out, I would just love it if you told them that Locked On sent you. All right, so let's talk a little bit about Hercules Mata'afa. And I want to start off by refreshing you on like where we were at with him last year, because he was having this perfect opportunity in the preseason. He was one of my favorite training camp stories, regardless of the result. But I also like separately from that believed that he was going to make the most of it because I really believed that like I was all in on the kid. Uh, so if you recall, he spent all of his rookie year, which was 2018, on IR. He ha- uh, suffered a gnarly knee injury in minicamp. Uh, actually, I think it was OTAs, and he never even got to the to padded practices, uh, which was a big bummer because he was an undrafted free agent that came in. I mean, he was the size of a linebacker, but at Washington State, he played defensive tackle. So it was this weird thing of do you 
make him move to linebacker and like learn how to cover, which he's never done in his life? Or do you just see what you can do with an undersized defensive tackle? And for Andre Patterson, he of John Randall fame, I think the answer was pretty obvious. They did try the linebacker thing in those OTAs, but they moved away from it in like two days. They think they maybe wanted to see, well, what if he has like natural coverage talent and then he'd be like this perfect athletic compliment that didn't work out. All right, cool. We'll do the defensive tackle thing. But he got hurt, and so not only does he miss out on that whole rookie year of coaching and experience, but he misses out on all of the strength training. And like I said, he's mega undersized for a defensive tackle. For a guy to play three technique, you got to push 300 pounds, and Hercules Mata'afa came out at like 235. Like, he was abysmally small. That's why he didn't get drafted. And so I was really, really excited to see in 2019 how that would come out. And it seemed like the cards were falling perfectly for him because both Shamar Stefan and Linval Joseph, both starting defensive tackles, were hurt for like all of camp. So Hercules Mata'afa and Jalen Holmes basically got to compete next to each other at three technique for all of camp and got a ton of reps. And I thought he had a reasonable preseason. He definitely played well enough to make the team, which was definitely an, an unknown, and he played even well enough I thought he could actually push to start, or at least play on third downs. And that's exactly what the Vikings did right off the bat, is they put him in on third downs and in, like, obvious passing situations. Luckily, week one, there was quite there was quite a bit of that. The Vikings put the Falcons in a ton of third and longs, and they also got ahead by... 21 points in, like, the first quarter. Remember that game started off with, like, interceptions and craziness? So he got 26 snaps in that game and never crossed 20 again. He got 19 in a couple of games, but otherwise it was, you know, under 10, and by week 7, he was a complete healthy scratch for the rest of the season, or after week 7. Week 7 was the last game that he played uh, as an active Viking, except for the, the week 17 backups one I mentioned earlier. So what happened here? And I think that week one game, which is the biggest sample, gives us the best chance to kind of look at it. So I did a film thread. I posted it deep into the night uh, on uh, Tuesday night. So if you missed it, it's linked in the show notes. But I basically just went through all of his snaps from that game, and I pulled out some of the ones that I found most interesting. So I'll start with the positive. And this is kind of Hercules Mata'afa's game, as we would theorize that it would be. Mike Zimmer talked about how he's crazy quick, and he's got pretty good technique, and it's just a matter of strength. And he is this really interesting, like, thought experiment of a player. He's this super cool edge case from, like, an academic standpoint, where he is at the very, like, cross-section of, what if we took the size slider and moved it all the way down, and we moved a bunch of other sliders all the way up? What kind of player does it produce? And what you see is a guy that, if he can get to the spot he wants to get, get, and if he, he can uh, execute perfect technique, which he can do a reasonable amount of the time, he can actually generate p pressure and be, uh, you know, a, a decent rotational defensive tackle. The problem is that isn't the only way that defensive tackles will generate pressure. Defensive linemen will generate pressure. Sometimes they'll generate pressure by losing the initial engagement and then doing something else, an extra move or powering through. That's what Ifadio Denebo does. He goes through guys. For a defensive lineman, you only really get maybe one or two a game where everything goes like perfectly and and you like textbook get the swim move and go in for a pressure. And in this game, Hercules Mata'afa does have one of those as well as a rip that goes really well. The uh, the swim move actually results in a holding penalty that gets a completed pass called back. And you can actually see him executing really, really nice technique that isn't perfectly flawless, but is usually pretty good for a regular athleticism defensive tackle, probably would have generated a pressure. But because of his strength issues, you see so many snaps that would otherwise be good get completely canceled out by even reasonable protection technique. 
And so I guess therein lies the problem. And in the the last segment of the show, I'm going to go into a lot of specific examples. Uh, and so again, you can click on or, or just check it out later if you're in uh, transit or whatever. Uh, you can click on those plays to kind of look at them on your own as like a visual aid. Uh, but I'll try to, of course, be as descriptive as possible. But really, the overall theme is if he doesn't get past you with a perfect swim or a spin move or something like that, the kind of thing that defensive linemen dream about, and that they dream about it because it doesn't happen that often, even if you're really good at it. I mean, even Dwight Freeney, he would spin on you and he would get, what, like three a game out of all the snaps? It's a rare thing, even if you're good at it. And if you don't get that rare thing, he isn't able to generate the pressure the same way that other defensive linemen are able to. He gets stonewalled and totally washed out of the play and doesn't really importantly, doesn't really require a double team. As a defensive line, uh, defensive tackle, you know, you play on the interior, you're going to get doubled sometimes just because of the way protection schemes work out, but it's not something that he really requires the team to do, and they always have the option of not doing it if they so choose, and that kind of creates a problem, a similar problem to what I've been complaining about with Shamar Stefan for, like, the last year and a half. So when I come back, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, so stick around for some more specificity to all of this vagueness. All right, so one thing that I want to point out with Hercules Mata'afa, in addition to the play strength stuff, which comes up like every other play, it's really, really bad, is a little bit of an issue in picking up his feet. And this is a pretty basic thing for defensive linemen, and it totally comes down to inexperience. Remember, this was his first NFL game, so not quite having that kind of basic technique down is something that if the Vikings stick with him and roster him for another year or two, he totally gets it down, right? And he might even already have it down after a whole extra year of practice and drills and off-season of working on it. This is absolutely something, you know, just it's the the one where you run in the nets and you try to pick up your feet and kind of high step. But he ends up tripping in traffic a, a little bit too often. And so the first play that I linked in this thread is that he uh, gets to the spot really, really well. He wants to attack the outside shoulder of the center, and then he just trips. And unfortunately, he's unable to get his balance again before the ball is released, and it's almost a sack coming from a blitzing Eric Hendricks anyways. And honestly, even if you are good at footwork, tripping in the shuffle of the trenches is just going to happen sometimes, so those sorts of plays don't bother me a lot. They're both fixable, rare, and at some points kind of just a thing that happens to everybody unavoidably. But what you really see with Hercules Mata'afa is the unfortunate uh, kind of tug of war between those two conflicting sliders that I talked about earlier. If you have perfect technique but no strength, can you win? And unfortunately, the answer too often is no. He would have, uh, there's a play in there where he gets just the perfect, like, low man uh, relationship. In offensive and defensive line, the low man always wins. If you think about it from a leverage perspective, you know, go find a friend and try to push down on their shoulders versus trying to get up under them and pushing down like on their chest or something, you'll find that the person who's pushing up is going to have the easier time. It's the same difference, you know, try to lift something with your triceps versus lifting something with like in a squat with your whole legs and back and butt put into it. You're going to have a lot more power. And Hercules Mata'afa has a really nice tight, compact frame, so he can get that low man relationship really, really often, but unfortunately he just gets no push. So 
there is a, a play where he gets absolutely no push on the guard, even though he gets a, a perfect punch and he holds up to that engagement, but he doesn't make them step back or anchor at all. If you compare what Hercules Mata'afa does to linemen to like what happens with Brian O'Neill a lot, Brian O'Neill has to take a couple steps back and then he anchors. And a lot of times that can ruin the pocket and be, you know, maybe worse than it looks. He usually can anchor and, and you know, often enough where it makes him a pretty good lineman. But on the other side, when you can't even make the linemen do that, it means that you're not really doing your job in terms of the rush angles and the kind of geography or geometry that Mike Zimmer is trying to design when he designs a four-man pass rush. And so what happens, and it happens on the second play here, is that, again, he trips. Because he didn't get enough push, he didn't get far enough away from the right tackle, trips over the guy's ankle. So... Once he does that, he tries to kind of get his balance, but at that point, he's totally dead to rights. The guard puts his hands on him and puts him into the dirt, and it's really ugly. It isn't as bad of a play as it looks, but it's, like, not a good one, right? Like, it's not as embarrassing. He, of course, tripped, and he totally lost any balance and leverage, and then, yeah, he's going to get embarrassed. But the fact that he didn't get any push in the first place and the fact that his footwork and his ability to kind of pick up his feet kind of struggles right off the bat is what led to that trip, which is what led to the ugliness. And then you have some plays that are just pure strength issues and technique and all that is out the window. Uh, and there are some where it, it just is very clear that he doesn't have enough bulk and enough power to play this position at a high level. And maybe none more clear than one where he ends up trying to twist around the line and he runs headlong into Devonta Freeman, who doesn't have much of a, a head start and he's just running out for a quick curl over the middle to be a check down and getting a chip on the way if he can. And he gets that chip and he gets completely stopped in his tracks. Now, we've talked in the past about corner versus receiver technique and how one of the things that corners will try to do to receivers is knock them off of their route, knock them off of their timing. As a defense, Defensive tackle. If you can't do that to the running back, there is a really big strength problem that's kind of highlighted here. And another thing that kind of gets highlighted by these plays is when there is a twist or a stunt, especially with Steven Weatherly, uh, both of those two kind of struggled on the inside at the beginning part of the season. Uh, a lot of times those are really, really clunky. The thing about a twist and a stunt is that they develop very slowly. And so the faster you can get all of that extra tricksy running out of the way and get to the point where you're actually rushing the passer, the better. And when you're kind of clunky and you're running into each other, you screw up all of that timing and you're basically just kind of hoping now that the edge rusher beats his tackle one-on-one -on -one and maybe even with a chip and you've probably torpedoed your pass rush. This is another thing that I think comes with a little bit more experience in the system, and if you really stuck by him for a couple years, I think that's something that he could figure it out. But the thing that I really am concerned with isn't necessarily a little bit of a clunky stunt or tripping a little bit too often in the trenches, because like I said, those things can kind of be coached out if you drill them. They're not necessarily problems that are like fatalistic to the career of a player, but the play strength issue really is. And this is killing me. If you listen to my rhetoric around this time last year, I was all over Hercules Mata'afa, and I really, really wanted him to be able to make up for that strength issue with the quickness. I thought it would be this awesome John Randall sequel, and that really... I guess bias might be, I don't really feel bad about being wrong about this, but I was pretty wrong about this. 
I really thought that there were kind of multiple ways to get in and out of being a pass rusher. I thought, hey, yeah, who cares how much you're going to lose in a strength battle if you just slip right by the guy because you're so quick every time anyways. And the issue, I guess, that you can learn by looking at Hercules Mata'afa and I guess the, the extra knowledge that we as watchers of football can come away with is that, yeah, there is a point where you just have to be strong enough. Otherwise, even a guard that's beat, a guard that you attacked their outside shoulder and they don't have the right leverage and you totally got him in the leverage battle, but if they're that much stronger than you anyways, they'll just pick you up like a little pipsqueak can throw you to the ground. And that's probably a little bit too unkind to Hercules Mata'afa. That's not necessarily what's happening to him, but there definitely is a, a legitimate strength issue that that uh, contributes to his benching in uh, from Week 8 onward. So he doesn't play in Week 8. That was the Thursday night game against Washington. That's when Afadio Denebo lines up in that uh, kind of three technique nose tackle. I mean, they lined up Hercules Mata'afa at nose tackle going up against like a guard center double team, and then he just gets washed away all the time, and it totally didn't work. Uh, and that's why they put uh, Fadi Odenabo there from week eight onward, and then it was Odenabo and Weatherly, and then in the playoffs, they actually made that Griffin and Hunter moving inside because of a weird game plan thing with the Saints, tried it against the 49ers, and it didn't work because the 49ers actually had good guards. So that was kind of how the, like, the history of that position in 2019 uh, and honestly, they kind of moved things around. They tried Weatherly there. They tried just having Shamar Stefan stay there one game. They tried quite a few things, and having that lack of a, a penetrating interior defensive tackle is something that Mike Zimmer had a lot of struggle like trying to replace, which is kind of part of the basis of my opinion about James Lynch this year being that guy, because he is a true blue three technique. I mean, he played like edge rusher at Baylor, but I believe that was a three, four edge rusher, which is closer in terms of uh, size and in terms of role to three technique in a four man front closer than edge rusher, even though they have the same name. When you move to a four, three, what the three, four edge rusher did was usually line up at three technique and rush B gaps all the time or four I or whatever you wanted to to do. So that's kind of the basis of my James Lynch take is that he can actually do that. And it was very clear that Mike Zimmer was desperate to find a different answer. He tried so many things around midseason and wasn't satisfied with any of them. And so if there is an exciting new one coming in like James Lynch, we can maybe infer that Mike Zimmer is going to be excited to give that one a try. Now, here's the thing, the final word on Hercules Mata'afa. Earlier, I'll see if I can find it and link it in the show notes, uh, earlier in the offseason, he posted a picture of himself at 295 weighing in, and that was about the same weight as, like, Sheldon Richardson plays at and his total normal playing weight for a three-technique defensive tackle. Now, does that weight translate into play strength? Uh, who knows, right? Like, I'm not saying that he got, like, fat or anything, but sometimes, you know, you gain a lot of muscle, and you have to learn how to convert that into power biomechanically, and you're playing on a body type that you're not used to having, and so a lot of that muscle memory has to be relearned, and that can be really, really difficult, which is why I'm really excited to see what Hercules Mata'afa brings in uh, training camp, if we can see it, and in the preseason, if we have one. If he comes in looking a lot bigger and looking a lot stronger and rushing with a little bit more power, then all of that quickness, so long as he didn't sacrifice his quickness to get so big, and all of that technique, which hopefully he also didn't sacrifice now that he's playing on a different body type, could come together and become a really nice rotational or even more three-technique defensive tackle. But that's a lot of wishful thinking. There's a lot of ifs in there. It's if that weight holds, and if it doesn't slow him down, and if it doesn't break his technique, then maybe then... He can be a decent three-technique defensive tackle, but for now, he's an undrafted free agent that was kind of experimental, kind of weird, and if it didn't work out, that's totally okay. 
So thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Locked On Vikings. I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. Of course, you can find that uh, thread in the show notes. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings. Show is available anywhere you find your favorite podcast, or you can always ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Vikings. And thanks again to the sponsor of today's show, RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com and tell them that Locked On sent you. I'll see you all tomorrow, and as always, Skull.